Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to theanalysis.news. And please don't forget the donate button at the top of the webpage. The online activist organization Roots Action is dedicated, they say, to galvanizing people who are committed to economic fairness, equal rights for all, civil liberties, environmental protection, and defunding endless wars. They've grown to hundreds of thousands of members who sign petitions and advocate for progressive change. Their latest campaign is No Honeymoon for President Biden. Here's a video they recently launched. There must be no honeymoon for Joe Biden. There must be no honeymoon for Joe Biden. Joe Biden, there's no honeymoon. No honeymoon. There must be no honeymoon for Joe Biden because starting on day one, you and I and everybody else have got to mobilize and organize and put maximum pressure on the Biden administration. We should have learned a lesson from the Obama-Biden years believing that they were going to be under a lot of pressure, so we should back off. It was the worst possible thing that we could have ever done. Now joining us is the co-founder of Roots Action, Jeff Cohen. He's a media critic, a columnist, a documentary filmmaker, retired journalism professor, and he founded the Media Watch Group Fair in 1986. For years, he was a regular pundit on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, and he's also the author of the book, Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Nice to be with you. So, so Jeff, talk about why this slogan about no honeymoon uh, for President Biden, and then what does it mean? Well, it, what we have done is looked at modern Democratic Party history. And you had Bill Clinton got into office in 1992. He wins the election. The Democrats have the Senate and the House. Instead of delivering for working class people and middle class people and the poor, uh, what we get from Clinton is vacillation, hesitation, corporatism, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which warmed the hearts of corporations and disoriented environmentalists and labor activists. Jump forward to President Obama. He wins what in modern terms, with something of a landslide in November 2008. He's got a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House. There's hesitation. There's vacillation. There's a bailout of Wall Street, but not a bailout of Main Street through a foreclosure freeze that would have saved middle class and working class people's homes. And of course, the foreclosure year of 2009 disproportionately hit Latino and, and black households. Um, so again, and both times, the Democrats, two years after taking the White House and the Senate and the House, lose, lose uh, the Senate and the House. The Republicans come storming back because of the vacillation, the hesitation, the corporatism of first President Clinton and then President Obama. So no honeymoon for Biden is telling progressives, you have to learn the lessons of history. We worked our asses off to defeat Trump. Uh, RootsAction.org did the big social media campaign that everyone saw, hashtag vote Trump out in swing states, then challenge Biden. Well, now it's time to challenge Biden. If progressives ease off and they go to sleep and think, oh, we got rid of Trump, we got a Democrat in there, 
it's going to be a couple years of vacillation, hesitation, corporatism, and a right-wing Republican storming back into power. And believe me, the next Republican candidate for president will have learned the playbook from Trump, the faux populism. There will be a new threat, slicker, smarter than Trump. Unless the Demo and that will only happen if the Democrats do not deliver big changes for poor working class and middle class people. So what do you make of it so far, the Biden administration in terms of appointments, announcements? Uh, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. What's your take? It's a it's a mixed bag, but it would have been worse if not for us and other activist groups. We know that. I mean, we worked Roots Action and Code Pink and World Beyond War. We raised hell about Michelle Flournoy. All the reports said she was going to be the Secretary of Defense. Uh, some good reporting was done at the New York Times and elsewhere. And Biden skipped over Flournoy. A bunch of environmental groups were yelling when it looked like Biden was going to nominate Ernest Moniz again as the Secretary of Energy, he played that role for Obama. He's tied to the nuclear power industry, to uh, oil, gas. And thankfully, Team Biden moved around uh, uh, Moniz, and they chose instead as the Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, the former governor of Michigan, who was pressed in 2016 during Standing Rock, do you stand with the protesters or not? And she said, yeah, we have to explain to people that we're going to have to keep oil and gas in the ground. Uh, so they're, they're, because of the activism, the Biden team is not quite as bad as it would be. And uh, because of the activism, I mean, Biden knows why he won. It wasn't because they spent tens of millions of dollars trying to persuade moderate Republicans and of course, after Reagan, Bush, you know, Gingrich, Bush, Trump, I don't know if there are 28 moderate Republicans left in the world, but tens of millions of dollars were spent on those ads. But I think Biden is smart enough to know that it was because of progressive energy and activism, people of color activism and energy, youth activism and energy is the reason they won Georgia, the reason they won Arizona, the reason they won Wisconsin, rootsaction.org. We were big in Arizona and Wisconsin and all the other progressive groups. So, I mean, we because of our energy, there are more executive orders. We could go through one by one. There's more there that there's less there than meets the eye on some of these executive orders we could itemize. But there's no doubt that it's because of the progressive upsurge that the Biden administration is doing more than they would have done. And our goal at No Honeymoon for Biden, and people can go to nohoneymoon.org or hashtag nohoneymoon, there's, there's no doubt in our mind that we are trying to save Biden from himself. <laughs> uh, your group I, I'm familiar with, and... and uh, you are one of the, I have to say, few groups that is also concerned with foreign policy, war and peace issues. A lot of the progressive side is so focused on domestic issues, they barely pay attention unless a war is actually breaking out somewhere. 
So where do you rate Biden's foreign policy appointments, the kind of messaging that's coming out? Uh, where, where, where do you where do you think? Is it is it a, a, another Obama administration, as many as these appointments are? Or is there is there possibilities for something more than that? Well, uh, on the economic and environmental side, clearly, and it's largely popular pressure from below. Team Biden's better than Team Obama. There's no doubt about that. On foreign policy, it's 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 problematic. I mean, we had some victories. Flournoy's not there as Secretary of Defense. There was a lot of screaming. Code Pink deserves credit over Mike Morrell, an apologist for torture, who was going to be the head of the CIA. And instead, Team Biden chose this diplomat, William Burns. That's a win. Uh, but frankly, you know, the Secretary of State is Tony Blinken. He's been the foreign policy advisor for Biden. Uh, he was involved in the Iraq invasion involved in the Libya meddling. He's problematic. Uh, they're talking about, you know, they've nominated Victoria Nuland to be under. We know about her very damaging role. I mean, she was Cheney's deputy national security advisor 2003 to 2005. Then she go, joins the Obama administration and she's got, you know, she's involved in the uh, shenanigans in, in Ukraine where the U.S., and we know this from the fuck the EU phone call that, that was hacked, where Victoria Nuland and the U.S. ambassador are deciding who should be running Ukraine. So there's some problematic uh, people. How do you explain her uh, appointment? She is like such a flag for going back to the most hawkish kind of policy. It seems like very deliberate message, uh, but who do they want to send such a message to? Um, well, I, they want to polarize with uh, with Russia, and Victoria Nuland for that job couldn't be better. They want to show they're tough on Russia, and Trump was too soft on Russia. They also want to polarize with China. And uh, I mean, there's this fascinating headline in Politico. Uh, this is from a few days ago. White House shifts from Middle East quagmires to a showdown with China. And the subhead, President Biden's foreign policy team is reorienting its priorities around rising powers in Asia, hoping to move on from the forever wars of the last two decades. Now, I think it's wishful thinking that they're going to end the forever wars. That's what at No Honeymoon we're pushing for. But it's almost like Orwell's 1984 that, uh, you know, we have to have an enemy. And if you're going to move away from the Middle East, you have to have an enemy. And in 1984, Oceania had the enemy of Eurasia. And then as soon as Eurasia was uh, no longer the enemy, it was replaced by East Asia. But there had to be an en a foreign enemy for the public to loathe, uh, fear, and hate. And so this political headline is brilliant. But yeah, why would they choose Victoria Newland? I think they want to... Uh, uh, polarize. It's great for the military industrial complex to always have an enemy. I also think is it a is it sort of a a payback to the neocons that supported Biden and opposed Trump? Could be. It could be. I mean, uh, there were a lot of neocon never Trumpers. I don't think they delivered any votes. This is what I, I was saying earlier, that you had all of these ads aimed at Republicans. We know from exit polls how heavily Republicans stuck with Trump. 
there was a little attrition in some of the suburbs. But what really beat Trump was grassroots activism, people of color activism, getting the vote out, young people holding their nose, even though they were Bernie fanatics and voting for uh, Biden. So, uh, but yeah, it could well be that. I mean, I, I've often wonder what's in Biden's head and, and not only Biden, some of the smarter, younger people around Biden, they know that the left is seething over some of these appointments and yet they feel the need to do them. I mean, Vilsack, on the domestic front, as I say, Team Biden's better than Team Obama, but Vilsack was a horrible Secretary of Agriculture under Obama with big agriculture, with GMOs, uh, and right up until he gets nominated by Biden to be the Secretary of Agriculture again, he's, he's taking a million dollars a year as the, you know, for the uh, dairy export lobby. So there's some of these, but the, the one that really rankles is Neera Tandon. Neera Tandon's the head of uh, Center for American Progress. She raised tens of millions of dollars from wealthy individuals linked to big tech, Wall Street. She's a big corporate fundraiser. They raised money from United Arab Emirates. Uh, that's what Neera Tandon is at this uh, you know, corporate liberal think tank, Center for American Progress. But online, she's known as the biggest Bernie basher. And she, you know, with all her Twitter wars with people that are in the Bernie Sanders movement, and they made her director of office of management and budget, which has a huge role in regulatory processes, where we'd be pushing on her to regulate, certainly better than the Obama uh, uh, team did to regulate big tech, regulate Wall Street. She'd be in that role. And so that's another one that rankles. Let's go back to foreign policy, because there's two things that Biden promised that are, to me, glimmers of hope that this administration will be, uh, well, on one score, at least as good as Obama, and on another score, maybe a little better. And that's, first of all, going back to the Iran agreement, if they really do, and to Yemen, uh, you know, Biden pledged to withdraw support for the Saudi war in Yemen. Where are we at on that? What's it looking like on both of those? Well, at, at no honeymoon, at Roots Action, we're trying to get Congress, uh, uh, progressive members of Congress, to reintroduce the War Powers Resolution, which already passed. And then in 2019, uh, Trump vetoed it uh, out of an allegiance to Saudi Arabia even greater than the Democratic Party allegiance to Saudi Arabia. So um, we know that this thing can pass. And Biden, as you say, has pledged to sign it. It would be historic if the U.S. could end uh, support for a military aggression. And uh, it would be historic if Congress could use the War Powers Act and stop something. So uh, that's a high priority for us. Iran, uh, you know, I sit and watch all of the hearings and on foreign policy, it's stunning because they, all of these uh, nominees have been waved through, including uh, Tony Blinken as Secretary of State. Sometimes the Republican senators will ask tough questions. Will you be tough on China? Will you be tough enough on Iran? You know, that's what passes for a hearing on foreign policy. The Democrats have no criticism to make, and the Republicans are often critical, aside from Rand Paul, 
who was great in interrogating, he's a nut, but he was great in interrogating Tony Blinken. When are you going to end these stupid wars? But otherwise, it's the Republicans being to the right, and some of them voted against Blinken, and all the Democrats voted for Tony Blinken. Blinken is the guy, we should remember, that uh, Joe Biden, probably more than any other Democrat, played a key role in ushering in the Iraq invasion in 2003. And, and Biden was the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and Tony Blinken was the staff director of that committee. And they had hearings in the summer of 2002 that were sham hearings. They refused to put UN weapons inspector former that would say they are not a weapons of mass destruction threat. There were peace groups lobbying them, put on a full hearing, let's have a real debate before our country invades Iraq. And Tony Blinken, as the foreign policy aide uh, to uh, Biden, was responsible for those sham hearings. So you're right that, uh, and you, you raised something important. A lot of progressive groups don't talk about foreign policy. Bernie Sanders didn't talk about foreign policy till Roots Action and other groups were lobbying him in 2016, 2015. You got to talk about foreign policy. When Sanders and Biden created those working groups, uh, there actually wasn't a working group on foreign policy. Exactly. And that's a problem. That, But I mean, if, and this, a lot of the progressive groups never talk about foreign policy. We do, Code Pink does, World Beyond War does, and we try to get some of the other groups to partner with us. Sometimes they'll do it, but we have to take the lead. And the, the insanity there is the Bernie Sanders agenda or any progressive democratic agenda cannot go through unless you one, tax the rich, and two, slash the military budget. There's just not enough money otherwise. So, you know, talking about foreign policy means you're talking about the other 96% of humanity on the planet that are not US citizens. But it also means if you talk about foreign policy, the endless wars, the, uh, what are they, 800 bases in so many countries around the world, if you can cut that down, there would be a way to pay for all of the things we want, like canceling student debt, uh, you know, uh, COVID relief, all the uh, all the economic expansion we need, the Green New Deal. These are costly Medicare for all. These are costly things, and most of our discretionary budget goes to the military, and even progressive groups. And Bernie's gotten better over the years. Like foreign policy is an afterthought, but that's where the money goes. And uh, the good news is that Bernie in the Senate and Mark Pocan and others in the House, I think Barbara Lee and AOC were there, they had this bill to cut 10% of the military budget and devote that 10%, that's about $74 billion, devote that to health, education, housing in working class communities. In other words, it was a pure social justice bill. How could you be against that? Well, in the Senate, half of the Democrats voted for it and half of the Democrats voted with all the Republicans to protect Trump's military budget. This was last year. In the House, 
And in the Senate, I should say Schumer and Durbin, the leadership was with Bernie. They wanted 10% of the military budget cut. In the House, Pelosi, Hoyer, and Clyburn, the House leadership, they were against the progressive resolution to take 10% of the military budget and invested in the U.S. working class. Hang on. I, 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 had, I hadn't followed that. Schumer supported Sanders' position? Boy, he's really yes. afraid of getting primaried by AOC. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I keep hearing primaried by AOC. Something's gotten into Schumer because the distance between Schumer and Sanders has shrunk. And Schumer is much more progressive than Pelosi today and has been for uh, uh, at least a year which is a high high jump over a low hurdle. But yeah, in the House, the House leadership was against it. And most House Democrats voted with all of the House Republicans to preserve Trump's budget without cutting a dollar. That's coming up again. That's going to be a major fight for No Honeymoon, for uh, uh, RootsAction.org. We hope to get progressive groups that don't normally do foreign policy to talk about cutting the military budget. If you don't do that, you can't pay for a lot of this stuff. Obviously, we need a Wall Street transaction tax. That would pay for canceling all student debt over a period of 10 years of a transaction tax. We need a wealth tax. We need to raise the capital gains tax. We need to take back all of these tax cuts to the rich. But we still need to cut the military budget because that's huge. I mean, if you throw in nukes and the Department of Energy's nukes and vets, you know, it's over a trillion dollars every year. Uh, now, we're in a kind of a weird moment uh, where Wall Street has decided that they actually don't care how much the how big the deficit gets. Uh, I, I was listening on Bloomberg the other day. Uh, somebody from a bank is saying 1.9 trillion that Biden's proposing is actually too small. It should be about double that, uh, three, four trillion. We're at, we're at a kind of an odd moment. It's like Wall Street are born again um, modern monetary theorists. I mean, they're only going to be that for a while. The, the austerity austerity hawks will return someday. But right now, it's not even about whether there's money or not money because they don't seem to have any compunction of just creating trillions of more dollars. Um, so it's a unique moment that Biden's in. You have a recognition, at least in words, of the existential threat of climate crisis. You've got the pandemic, which has pushed sections of the working class into poverty that never thought they would be there. Unemployment at rates no one thought would, would be there. And, and we're still nowhere near out of this thing. The, the vaccination is rolling out so slowly, the economic crisis is going to get deeper. It has freaked out Wall Street. Um, it is somewhat like a 1930s kind of scenario where there is the possibility that enough sections of capital will see the need for a really big stimulus and maybe even get some of the climate. Now, whether, you know, it's, I guess what I'm saying, it's actually a good time for progressives to be pushing Biden because it's a it's a freaky moment. There's no doubt. I mean, we have this window of opportunity. Part of it is that there's sectors of capital that are not as ferocious as they were during the Clinton and Obama years in, you know, running things uh, and putting a clamp down on things. 
and the left, I should say, is stronger, better organized, better networked, better funded than it was in the past. So I love looking at history because think about it. Capitalism with the financial crisis of 2007-8 had crashed. Obama had a near landslide. He won Indiana. He won North Carolina. They had a real opportunity to do things. Many progressives that had worked for Obama to defeat Clinton sort of went into deep sleep. And Obama, wither, you know, he, he, he dithered and he vacillated and he hesitated. And he, did, he was so uh, intent on getting a few Republican senators to join him that he whittled down his own stimulus that, as you say, mainstream economists were saying, even back then in 2009, you need a stimulus of this amount. And, uh, and Obama was just negotiating downward before he was even at the negotiating table because of his need for bipartisanship or to appear bipartisan. I, 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 this is where I think it's, it's a different moment here. I mean, I don't think it, it was just he had some emotional need for bipartisanship. Wall Street wanted to use the Republicans in bipartisanship to slow down, restrict any progressive instinct the Obama administration might have. And I don't think they had much progressive instinct. But we're in this different moment now where Wall Street actually is very pro-stimulus. Yeah, I'm not arguing with you that Wall Street may be in a different place, but let's not forget that Obama, there were 60 Democrats in the Senate. You know, Obama had a massive majority in the House. So if he wanted to be Franklin Roosevelt and fight the economic royalists, he could have done a lot. Yeah, he didn't just, want. He didn't you know, want I mean, to. <laughs> of course not. He appointed you. You know, you and I have discussed this in the past. He appointed all these Wall Streeters to run his economic team. We know that. So, but I, I love history. I mean, when we think about the failures of progressives in 2009, that they weren't loud enough. And, you know, we're getting pushback from liberals. Give Biden a chance. He's only been in there a week, 10 days. What are you guys doing? We worked so hard to defeat Trump. I mean, we're learning from history. The left can't go to sleep. Progressive activism cannot stop. I think of the 30s. I, I think of the two times in our history when there was re really legislative transformation forward for uh, the U.S. public and the working class in the 1930s and the 1960s. In the 1930s, Roosevelt was not elected on a progressive platform, but during the first two years of Roosevelt, there was a general strike in San Francisco led by the longshore workers, a general strike in Minneapolis led by the Teamsters. Uh, by the end of his first term, Roosevelt's workers are seizing factories. You know, sit-down strike doesn't doesn't really capture the militancy that socialists and labor movements were in the streets raising hell and that certainly propelled the New Deal from below. And you could jump forward to the 1960s, which was the other period of real step forward for the public. Civil Rights Bill, Voting Rights Act, Great Society, uh, War on Poverty, and uh, I think back at how the Kennedys tried to manage King, Martin Luther King and SNCC and Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And it was always, you're going too fast. 
you got to give us more time. And we know from the, you know, the surveillance the FBI did of King that, hell no, we're not going to put off the march on Washington. You know, they had an attitude that we're organizing from below. We're not, we're not going to make strategy with you guys in the White House. Uh, they certainly, the workers in the 30s didn't do that. But the problem we have in Washington today is you have a lot of leaders of the labor movement, leaders of the environmental, big environmental groups, leaders of the civil rights groups. Their leadership sort of is a revolving door inside the Democratic Party and then out again. And these, these uh, uh, left of center pressure groups are very different than right wing pressure groups they sort of they seem to be happy if they can get a meeting at the white house i used to meet with i used to meet with labor leaders i you, i got to know a few of them they would be so excited to have tea with a staff member in the white house they'd come back all tickled yeah. i mean right think of and so and that's where some of the beltway left is now at roots action and nohoneymoon.org we don't give a damn no one's going to hire me or norman solomon in the White House, we don't want access, we want action. So we, we see ourselves as trying to uh, do what the working class and socialist movements in the 30s did, what the civil rights movements in the 60s did. They didn't make peace with the White House, they pushed the White House. And that's the, that's the mentality we're trying to instill in progressive activism. We're in a real critical moment now. I, I, I think the whole Biden administration whether they're going to really accomplish anything is going to be settled in this next few weeks. Uh, personally, I think, number one, they need to, the Department of Justice has to charge Trump and others in Congress with sedition and treason. What they did was a criminal offense. It's not just about some impeachment. Number two, they have to govern as if the Republican Party doesn't doesn't practically exist. They have to do they, the filibuster rule has to be changed. They have to use budget reconciliation. I, I've been saying in some of these interviews I've been doing, if, 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 if Biden's administration, if Biden himself is not accused by the Republicans of being an autocrats, the way FDR was accused of being an autocrat, then it means Biden's not living up to this moment whatsoever. Uh, and and I, I'm not that I'm so hopeful he will, but I agree with you with the pressure, maybe, but right now is such a critical moment because I can actually see this impeachment thing in the Senate being another dead end as it was previously. Yeah, I, I'm not optimistic about the Justice Department going after uh, Republicans, uh, you know, for sedition. But on that second point, I am I, I believe that's where the game is. Are they going to deal with uh, are they going to do what Obama did and fish around for a couple of Republicans and water down what the working class needs by half to get a Republican or two vote? Or are you going to use budget reconciliation, which, you know, Bernie's the head of the, the chair of the Senate Budget Committee. Are you going to use budget rec re reconciliation, which gives you an ex expedited type line, timeline and you only need 50 votes? Schumer, to his credit, has been moving in that direction. Uh, if you watch as much cable news as me, they're running a video of Schumer in 2009 uh, saying, no, we're going to be working with the Republicans. Uh, we're going to forge bipartisan. And today, Schumer's saying something very different. The issue is, will Biden listen to Bernie? 
Will Biden listen to Schumer? Will Biden listen to the grassroots? And if he does, through budget reconciliation, working class people could get these uh, benefits in their lives such that even Trump voters will say, wow, the Democrats delivered. I mean, there's a reason that Roosevelt was elected and reelected and reelected is because they delivered for working class people of all colors. And if Biden can deliver by using budget, budget reconciliation, remember that in 2001 and three, Bush cut taxes on the rich by using budget reconciliation. It wasn't bipartisanship. In 2017, Trump gives his tax giveaways to the rich through budget reconciliation. On every interview that Bernie gives, and because he's now Chairman Bernie, and he gets on mainstream TV a lot now, he's pointing that out. That, you know, we're not gonna to listen to Republicans demanding unity and bipartisanship and reach across the aisle when it was these same Republicans who used budget reconciliation measures in order to give all these tax breaks to the rich in two different eras in modern U.S. history. I, I, I do want to just correct you. Excuse me for using that language about Chuck Schumer. I don't think he's a born again progressive. I think going back to there's this weird, interesting moment on Wall Street right now. Where I, because I, I listen to Bloomberg radio not, all the I'm time. I'm not saying. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm harassing you. Right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying I'm teasing he's a progressive. you. I, I'm, I'm teasing saying, you. Right. But let, I'm let saying me, even, even Schumer. Well, it, well, it's, 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 I think it's more interesting than that in the sense that Schumer represents a whole section of Wall Street, as does uh, this guy who's the head of the Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, what's his name again? Uh, the Black Reese? Rock. Yeah, Reese. Reese. Reese or Deese? God, I should know that. Yeah, Deese. 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 Yeah, he's a he's a BlackRock guy. Uh, you know, which is the biggest asset management company in the world. Uh, they're in the mood for this kind of stimulus now. And the uh, I actually I saw another Bloomberg interview where a Wall Street guy was saying, you know, we're actually not we don't mind that the Democrats uh, control the Senate. In fact, it wouldn't be bad if they had more control. Because right now you need more cohesive government to roll out these stimulus plans. And I think Schumer is a good representative of where that section of capital is. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, uh, believe me, I, I have a lot of trust in Bernie, who you know I've known since his first term in Congress. I don't have any faith in Schumer, but it's fascinating what Schumer's been doing lately, which is placing himself shoulder to shoulder with Bernie. And think about this other issue that's very big for nohoneymoon.org is canceling student debt, federally held student debt. Schumer is working with Warren and keeps demanding, and he, he tweeted a few days ago, uh, they want Schumer, they want Biden to cancel up to $50,000 per person of those persons that hold federal student debt. That can be done by executive order because you know there already is the legislation, the Higher Education Act of 1965, and Schumer's pushing for it. That would be an incredible stimulus that the Republicans couldn't shrink uh, if if you canceled student debt. So there's there's some fascinating things happening, but our our single message in nohoneymoon.org hashtag nohoneymoon 
Roots Action, is this is the time to put our, you know, our pedal to the metal. Uh, this is not the time to ease off, oh, he's only had two weeks. No, that's the wrong approach. We know from history that that stimulus that Obama uh, did was too small. Economists said it was too small. The economy didn't jump back to the way it would have if there was a real uh, full stimulus. And, and Democrats got punished for it in the 2010 election. Either Biden will deliver, and as you say, the next few weeks are the most important. Either Biden will deliver and there will be, you know, you deliver something in a few weeks over the next months or year, people will feel what you've done, canceling student debt, raising the minimum wage, a real stimulus, putting people to work with green jobs. Uh, if you do these things in the first term, the Democrats will gain in, in 2022 instead of what's happened with the last two Democratic presidents who vacillated, hesitated, and corporatized, which is the right wing came storming back. Uh, I think as, as this stimulus package gets more detail and we know more about it, the, real, the big fight's going to be, is it, is it really going to create some ongoing support for working families, not just one-time payments? Because as I say, the financial sector, to a large extent, is all for a big stimulus. So the, the, the size of it is less in dispute. But the devil's going to be in the detail because what, what the Republicans, I think, are really afraid of when it comes to the stimulus, because it's not the size, it's not the deficit. Nobody cares right now about the deficit. There's zero fear of inflation. Um, what they, the Republicans, are concerned about is they don't want workers to get used to weekly checks, especially if those weekly checks are for more money than they were getting when they were working. It's about the disciplining of the working class. And, and no doubt. And, and I mean, at no honeymoon, we're going to be pushing this proposal from Ilhan Omar. It's already got 50 co-sponsors in the House for checks every month until the pandemic's over. That's and believe me, with the variants, this pandemic is not over and won't will not be over soon. Uh, Bernie Sanders has got a plan for Medicare for all, you know, guaranteed health care during the pandemic. That's a good step toward Medicare for all. Uh, there are the, the good news, and I've been in the left since I was a teenager uh, a few years ago, um, we never had these kinds of allies in the Senate or the House. We didn't have open socialists in the Senate and the House. Uh, we didn't have people pushing who, who saw themselves allied with social movements like AOC does, Bernie Sanders does, Rashida Tlaib does. Ilhan Omar, uh, Cory Bush, uh, newly elected from St. Louis, uh, uh, Jamal Bowman, uh, recently elected from Bronx, Yonkers. We have a new, you know, the social movements are stronger than they've been in a few decades. And we have some real allies who want to see the resources of our wealthy society for the first time since decades and decades ago that the resources go to the working class and the middle class and the poor and not to the top 1%. Um, so, I mean, I'm optimistic about where we are. Unfortunately, a lot of this is on the shoulders of Joe Biden, who, you know, talks to the corporate donor class. 
He wants to make friends with Republicans. And on the other hand, he's getting a good push from, from people on the left. We cannot back off. Uh, Bill Fletcher Jr., who I know uh, you're familiar with, was a senior staffer at the AFL-CIO lifelong labor and racial, racial justice activist. He said, when Obama-Biden were elected, there are people on the left that said, they're going to face so much harassment from the right wing, we should ease off. And Fletcher says, that's the worst thing anyone could have ever done then, and especially now. So, I mean, we've learned from history, the job of progressive grassroots is to raise hell, make demands, uh, demand the full, the full policies that will actually address the needs of the planet and the needs of the U.S. working class, both, and uh, working class of all colors. And we make the demands, we keep making the demands. Thankfully, we have representatives in the House and Senate who are ready to push some bills, like cutting the military and a monthly check during the time of during the period of the pandemic. So we have a good uh, uh, alignment of forces, but this is the time for progressive activists to get active. I encourage uh, uh, your viewers to go to nohoneymoon.org and volunteer. Uh, we've got thousands of volunteers who understand you can't let Biden be Biden. You have to save Biden from his corporate or bipartisan instincts. All right. Thanks very much for joining us, Jeff. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. And please don't forget the donate button at the top of the webpage.